we Hershon is funded uh, at least a small piece of two of Bill's surveys in Indonesia. I believe the survey of the first presidential election in Indonesia. Legislative. Legisla well, first democratic election. First democratic election. That was four years ago? Nine years. Nine, nine, yeah, nine, five, years. five years ago. And this past year, uh, in fact, quite recently, just months ago, as you probably know, Bill was in Indonesia and in the field during the uh, parliamentary elections that were just held. And he and I were talking when he got back, and I wanted to hear, and I'm certain others wanted to hear, what they're learning about elections in Indonesia. So without further ado, Bill Little. Uh, thank you, uh, Rick, and thank you all for coming. Nice turnout. <clears throat> Uh, I've passed around uh, a handout which has uh, some information about the election results. Uh, Indonesia just conducted a legislative election, the second democratic legislative uh, election um, in its in current history. Indonesia has once again been a democracy since uh, 1999, since uh, the overthrow of uh, Suharto. Elections were held uh, in 1999. So this is this is the second uh, set of elections in democratic Indonesia. Uh, there had been one prior democratic election in 1955, and I'm going to show you the results of that in a moment, but what I've given you here are the results from uh, 1999 and, uh, and 2004. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a multimedia presentation that I'm going to give here. Uh, what, what, you're seeing, <laughs> what you're seeing at the moment, what you're seeing at the moment is just stuff from the campaign. This, is, these, uh, this red campaign is uh, PDIP. Uh, the party of Megawati, uh, Sukarno Putri, uh, campaigning on the streets of Jakarta. All of these parties had days assigned to them in which they could conduct these rallies. Uh, everybody's very organized. This is the product of the dictatorial period before. Everybody uh, has to be highly organized. So you can't have your rally just at any old time. You've got a day assigned for your rally. Uh, so this one, the red one, is, uh, uh, is the PDIP, Megawati's uh, party. And we've also got uh, some here from PKS, uh, the Prosperous Justice Party, uh, which I'm going to be talking about a little while later. So these pictures are from uh, from those two elections. But I want to start. I want to start out uh, by uh, giving you um, a slide. This is the multimedia part here. Um, I hope everybody knows where Indonesia is and what it is. We can come back to that later on if you want. But I want to start out with. Uh, with a slide from the 1955 elections. Bear in mind now that Indonesia has had democratic elections on three uh, occasions. <laughs> three occasions. So these are the results from the uh, 1955 elections. And you have the results from the 1999 elections and 2004 elections in that, uh, in that handout that, uh, that I gave you. There were, there were also, I should add, uh, there were also six elections during the period of uh, President Suharto's dictatorship, which was, the dictatorship was from 1966 to 1998. And during that 32 uh, years, uh, elections were held on six occasions. Um, they weren't democratic elections, and 
we never tried to do surveys of voter opinion and, and things of like that, things like that during that period. But they weren't totally meaningless elections either. Uh, for one thing, voters uh, had an opportunity every five years, starting in 1971 and ending in 1997. Voters had an opportunity to go to the polls, and indeed, the elections that I've witnessed in 1999 and just now in 2004 were conducted very much like the uh, Suharto era elections, the polling places and the, the people who were in charge of them and so forth. So there's an element of continuity here uh, from uh, the Suharto uh, dictatorial era as well. Uh, <clears throat> but I point out that there were six elections there because uh, I, I'm going to make an argument in a moment about continuity. I, I'm going to make three arguments, and the first argument that I'm going to make is about continuity. And so it helps me to make that case for continuity by saying, well, there was an election in 1955, this was it, and I'm going to talk about that. Uh, result in a, in a little while. But then there was a, again an election in 1971 uh, and elections every five years from 1971 until 1997, the period of the Suharto dictatorship. Now, the parties, the parties that competed during those Suharto years, uh, there were three of them. Uh, one of them uh, was Golkar, G-O-L-K-A-R, a new party uh, created by, uh, by uh, Suharto that is not on this 1955 uh, list. Uh, Golkar is an acronym that stands for functional groups. It's a kind of corporatist, right, this right-wing corporatist theory of, uh, of democratic of, or of uh, uh, political mobilization, of relationship between uh, state and society. It's very reminiscent, actually, of a communist party uh, in a communist, in a ruling communist country, in that the whole point of it really was to legitimize uh, communist rule to the outside world and, of course, keep other people from competing in politics. Uh, and that's what Golkar was like uh, during the Suharto years uh, as well. It won between 60 and 75 percent of the vote in those uh, six uh, elections. Um, <clears throat> uh, and the whole point of it was uh, to tell the outside world that Suharto was a legitimate uh, president in the, in the standard democratic kind of way, uh, but also to keep the opponents within Indonesia uh, from making uh, much of uh, a, a show of opposition. Uh, so, of course, these elections were controlled and manipulated and so forth. But there were, as I say, two other parties, and those parties were uh, PPP uh, and uh, PDI, PPP and PDI. And I'll talk about those uh, in a moment, too. But I, I just want to point it out now that there were three parties for all of these 30-some years of the Suharto dictatorship, uh, <clears throat> and that these other two parties, the PPP and PDI, which are on your charts here uh, for both 1999 and 2004, uh, PPP was essentially a fusion of all of the pre-existing Muslim parties of the 1950s, uh, and PDI was a fusion of all of the non-Muslim parties, uh, primarily uh, the nationalist parties, but it also included a small Protestant party and a small Catholic party. So on one side, during all those Suharto years, you have the state party, the communist party, if you want, uh, uh, that is to say, in terms of, uh, of uh, preventing mobilization, uh, for all of those years you have Golkar winning 70, 60 to 75 percent of the vote, and then you have these other two parties, the PPP representing Islam uh, and uh, the PDI representing secular nationalism and, and non-Islam. Uh, the PPP got anywhere between 15 and 30 percent of the vote in these various elections. Uh, and PDI, uh, I've forgotten, maybe somewhere between 3% of the vote and 15% of the vote in all of these elections. So they were distinctly minority parties, PPP and PDI, but they represented a continuity, I'm going to be arguing in a moment, they represented a continuity with the past that also carried forward into the future. This continuity of religious division between Islamic parties uh, and, uh, and secular uh, parties. So here we have, I don't, I haven't put up figures for the uh, Suharto era elections, I'm just going to connect the 55 elections to uh, the present, but I wanted to start 
Uh, I start with that. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to make three arguments, and I'm going to try to keep this all uh, as brief as I can. You've got the clock back there. It's terrific. We can, uh, we can see how our limitations are. I'm going to keep this as brief as I can and just make these three uh, arguments and then uh, have as much opportunity as possible for uh, questions. Uh, the first argument is an argument of continuity, as I say. Um, and the continuity uh, is mainly religious uh, continuity, although uh, continuity in religious cleavages, this distinction between Islamic politics and secular nationalist politics. Uh, but we can also uh, see some continuity in um, ethnic-based or regionally-based uh, conflict. Remember, Indonesia is a very large country. The The sweep of Indonesia from the northern tip of Sumatra up here uh, down there to uh, the southeastern part of Indonesian New Guinea, uh, that is about 3,800 miles, uh, roughly the distance uh, between Vancouver, British Columbia, and Bermuda. So if you put a map of Indonesia across the map of the United States, that expresses that same range. The regional cleavage in Indonesian politics, which I'm not going to talk about uh, too much, but it's uh, a secondary one after the religious one, the regional cleavage has been basically between Java, where 60% of the population lives, 60% of 210 million people, 60% of 10, 210 million people live uh, on the island of Java, and so that's, of course, the most densely populated, even though by far uh, not the largest of the island. <clears throat> and there is a cleavage between uh, Javanese politics, or parties that uh, are supported by Javanese, and parties that are supported by Outer Islanders. Uh, outer Islanders, this, this may be a good Javanese way of looking at the world. The Javanese divide the world between us and everybody overseas. <laughs> and so if you talk about Outer Islanders, you know, why are they Outer Islanders and the Javanese not Outer Islanders? What's the distinction here? This interpretation. But the Dutch had a term for it also. Uh, but a Havesta, uh, and so the, which means outer regions uh, as well. German must be close to that, but a Havesta. Uh, so, maybe, so maybe the term just comes from the Dutch. Uh, but anyway, you have this cleavage between the outer islands, uh, primarily Sumatra, but also Borneo or Kalimantan, the Celebes over here, uh, and this cleavage uh, between uh, regions that has been an important part of Indonesian politics and still continues. But as I say, I don't want to emphasize it that in my presentation, but rather this, uh, <coughs> uh, this religious cleavage instead. So we start out in the 1955 uh, elections with uh, <coughs> basically two religious parties and two uh, secular uh, parties. And the religious parties are the two in the middle here, uh, Mashumi, uh, which was an acronym standing for Association of Muslim Organizations, uh, created during the Japanese occupation, actually, from 1942 uh, to 1945. Uh, Mashumi got 21% of the vote, and then uh, you had an organization of uh, traditionalist uh, Muslims, uh, which got 19% uh, of the vote, NU or Nadato Ulama. I meant before <coughs> explaining those uh, distinctions to give you one more transparency. <coughs> This is, uh, this is lecture 101A on uh, religious politics in Indonesia, this one. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because I could take the whole uh, hour with doing this. But basically, Indonesian Muslim society is divided into three categories in terms of uh, practices and beliefs. Uh, syncretists, syncretists, 
modernists and traditionalists. And this has been reflected in the party system starting in the 1950s, and that's the continuity that I want to talk about into uh, the present. Uh, <clears throat> so you have 86% of the population is Muslim, roughly, uh, and there is a division between syncretists and orthodox, we have it here, in which the syncretists are people whose actual practices and beliefs are much more a mixture of traditional animistic uh, uh, beliefs uh, plus Hinduism. Uh, Indonesia was a crossroads. Uh, there were lots of uh, elements of Hindu culture. You think of the temples in Angkor Wat, not so far away. Uh, in Java, you have Borobudur and Prambanan, the same kinds of Hindu-influenced temples. And there was a lot of Hindu culture in Indonesia, and it's particularly pronounced in, uh, in Java. And so syncretistic Muslims are people who are against the idea of a Muslim state, although they claim to be Muslims themselves. They really don't pray five times a day, and uh, they're, they're insulted. I, I once said to Megawati, the president, before she was president, uh, I said, do you consider yourself a syncretist, using the local word for syncretism? She got very angry with me. Uh, she, but then she's a politician, you know, who wants everybody to vote for, uh, including devout Muslims. And so uh, she strenuously objected to the idea that she was a syncretist. But she certainly is <laughs> a syncretist in her real uh, beliefs and practices, as was her father, Sukarno, and as was Suharto, uh, the second president of Indonesia. So we have a, quite a long tradition here of syncretist uh, ruling uh, Indonesia. So, so they are Muslims, but they're against the religious state. They ally with Protestants and Catholics, with Hindu Balinese, and so forth. Uh, but then you have the Orthodox, people that we would recognize as real Muslims uh, here. And in Indonesia, they're divided into two groups. Basically, it's, it's easiest to think about these two groups in Catholic and Protestant terms. The modernists are Protestants. That is to say, they go directly back to the Koran for their religious inspiration. And in principle, every Muslim um, um, has the right to interpret the Koran for himself or herself. In practice, it's another matter. But in principle, the idea here is that you can go directly back to the Koran for your interpretation. Traditionalists, on the other hand, uh, are people who, uh, who... These are all Sunni Muslims, incidentally, for people who know that. There's no Shiism or, or other minorities. All Sunni Muslims. And within Sunni Islam, they are all followers of one particular... A judicial interpreter, one particular school of legal interpretation in Islam, which is the Shafi'i school. There are four of these major traditional schools, uh, Shafi'i, Hanbali, Hanafi, Maliki, and of those four schools, only one is prominent in Indonesia. So you have Imam Shafi'i, a ninth century cleric, uh, who was kind of the Supreme Court, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, <laughs> in the sense that it's his ideas, his interpretations, uh, for various legal questions that continue to be influential in Indonesia today. And so you have a lot of religious schools uh, all over the country uh, which teach people uh, how, uh, how to follow in this tradition. So this is Catholic, not in the sense in which you have a pope or a hierarchy, but of course Islam doesn't have that, but Catholic in the sense that you refer to a, a, a religious expertise, a religious hierarchy, that there are that it's, it's not a hierarchy in the sense of a pope, but it's a hierarchy in the sense that ordinary uh, Muslims are not supposed to understand these things, uh, and you have religious teachers who do. Uh, and these religious teachers become revered for their knowledge uh, and so forth. And so people turn to them, and there becomes a consensus among them and so forth. So it's in that sense that you turn away from yourself. That's traditionalism. So we have this, this distinction between modernism and traditionalism. Uh, I, I won't talk about the further distinction here, but, but it's there. Uh, fundamentalists uh, in Indonesia, to the extent that they exist, and they are a very small group, um, uh, <coughs> are on the conservative side of the modernist uh, element. We'll talk about that later. I don't want to 
complicate things uh, further if you have questions about this. But moder the modernists are divided into liberals and conservatives, just like Protestants are divided into liberals and conservatives. And as we have the religious right coming from the conservatives uh, here, so they have the religious right coming from the conservative modernists. It's a very similar uh, kind of pattern. But, but it, um, uh, we don't see that too much yet, I think, in, in mass audiences, and so I don't want to make too much of it uh, just yet. Okay. <clears throat> Back to the election results. Okay, so so the election results then in 1955 uh, really identified <coughs> a syncretist party, the PNI, that's the precursor of today's PDI, and then a modernist-led party. There were many different kinds of Muslims in Mashumi, but it was a modernist-led party with 21% of the vote, and a traditionalist party uh, with 19% of the vote. Uh, in addition to that, there was a communist party, which you don't see on your, on your 1999 and 2004 results. There was a communist party, and it had 17% of the vote. The communist party was wiped out uh, in 1965-66 after... Uh, for its involvement uh, in the assassination of the leading generals of the Indonesian army and President General Suharto at the time reacted uh, against that, led the army uh, against the Communist Party, banned the Communist Party, uh, killed many of its members, uh, hundreds of thousands probably of communists were killed in 1965-1966, uh, many more were arrested. And so the Communist Party has not been a force ever since that time. And Again, we can talk about that further uh, later as well. But what I want to start out by saying is that here in 1955, we can see the relationship between religion and politics. We have three large groups in Indonesia, um, syncretists, traditionalists, and modernists, and they each have their own political uh, party. Okay, if you turn then to the, um, <coughs> to the tables for 1999 and 2004, uh, I want to argue that there is a pattern of continuity, that one can connect those political parties of the 1950s, those traditions of the 1950s, if not the actual parties in all cases, uh, you can trace those to, uh, to the present. So if you look uh, at the list of parties in 1999, uh, for example, uh, the PDIP, uh, with 34% of the vote, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty direct continuation uh, of um, Sukarno, of the, of the PNI of the 1950s. Uh, Sukarno himself, the first president of Indonesia, had been associated with the PNI when it was founded in the 1920s as a, at the beginning of the nationalist movement. Um, <clears throat> it was, as I say, by Suharto, uh, absorbed into the PDI uh, in the 1970s, and so PNI was one part of the PDI, but it's that tradition uh, that uh, continues. So now you have the old Protestant party and Catholic party and so forth are mainly a part of, basically a part of that. But, but what that really represents, PDIP, is the syncretistic vote. Um, Golkar then, as I say, was the state party uh, under Suharto. It got 75% of the vote, I think, in the last elections held under Suharto, uh, but dropped to 22% of the vote. That shows you that that's, that's what happens in a democracy. That 50% or so is the difference between democracy and dictatorship. Uh, in terms of ability uh, to, to manipulate uh, the vote. It's harder to associate Golkar with this Islamic uh, dispute, although most, most of the leaders of Golkar have a modernist uh, Islamic orientation religiously. Their religious beliefs uh, tend to come from uh, modernist Islam, but there are many different kinds of people in, in Golkar, and their program is not at all Muslim. Okay, then PKB, the third party here in 1999, that's the direct continuation of NU from the 1950s the direct continuation of NU. Um, 
So that's traditionalist. So we have a syncretist uh, represented in PDIP, not really religious in Golkar, the traditionalist in PKB. Um, <clears throat> then in uh, PAN, PBB, and PK are all uh, split-offs from Mashumi. And they are all parties that are led by uh, modernists. So here we can see these three religious cleavages uh, continuing to play a role uh, in 1999. Okay, I'm not going to go through 2004 because I've already spent too much time on this first uh, point, but the continuity continues into 2004. When Indonesians talk about politics, uh, they are they, they first are talking about this religious cleavage and who's up and who's down in terms of uh, secular nationalists versus uh, Muslims. And I think we can see this continuity from the 50s uh, to the present. Okay, so that's the first point that I want to make. The second point is that we see increasing fragmentation uh, in Indonesian party politics. Uh, again, what I'm asking you to do is to compare what I've got up here uh, with the election results from 1999 and 2004. Um, <clears throat> in 1999, we had just four major political parties, um, three of them representative of these three major cleavages, and the fourth, the Communist Party, uh, representing a lower class constituency, mainly within the syncretist uh, group. Um, but in 1999, uh, what we see is um, PDIP still continues that tradition of PNI. Uh, Golkar is something different because of the state orientation. PKB continues the tradition of NU, but some of the PKB voters have now left, and they are in PPP, uh, the party that comes after it, because this is the party that was created by Suharto to represent all Muslims, and some people still stay within PPP today. And so we have some fragmentation of the traditional voters now that we did not have uh, in 1955 between PKB and PPP. And then, uh, as I've already pointed out, PAN, PBB, and PK are all splinters from Mashumi. So you can see here that we have greater fragmentation than we had in 1999. And if you carry that further onto the next column, the 2004 column, uh, we see further fragmentation because now we have, what is it, uh, 11 parties or something like that, uh, which are considered uh, serious players uh, in the political uh, system. Um, so we have fragmentation. Uh, and you can see, I've got here also not just the, uh, the uh, percent of popular votes, but also the percent of seats. Uh, and we see here the, the, the percent of seats in Parliament means that there is greater fragmentation as well. And you can see that very clearly from 99 to 2004. In 99, the PDIP, Megawati's party, uh, had 34% of the popular vote and 30% of the seats uh, in Parliament. It dropped by 14% or so, 15%. Uh, um, in the 2004 election, so they now have only 23% of uh, the seats. So you can see uh, there's quite a fragmentation, quite a pattern of fragmentation here in the legislature. This is an important point, I think, and I just stated here, and then I'll come back to it at the end. This is an important point because uh, what it tells you is that whoever becomes president of Indonesia is likely to have a difficult time uh, dealing with that parliament because you've got so much fragmentation there. It shouldn't have been as bad in the 1999 to 2004 uh, period because Megawati had 30% of the seats, but Megawati was not a very good politician, um, and uh, so she didn't maximize uh, her potential as the leader of a 30% party uh, in parliament. But now it's worse uh, because nobody has any more than 23% uh, of the seats in Parliament. So, so the second point that I want to make is this point about uh, fragmentation. Okay. The third, the third point um, is um, that Indonesia appears to be, uh, how do I want to put this? I, I'm, I'm calling the point democratic vitality. 
What I see in Indonesia today um, is a real attempt on the part of the Indonesian voters uh, to seize the opportunity that's been given to them. Uh, I spent the election period in a village, a village that I've often gone to, uh, first went to 30 years ago uh, to study the first elections under Suharto in 1971. I lived in this village for about six months. It's south of the city of Yogyakarta, nearly to the coast uh, of the Indian Ocean. Uh, and I went to that village 30 years ago because I wanted to see the, the syncretists, the modernists, and the traditionalists, all of whom had political parties in that region. And so I wanted to see how they all would do under the Suharto dictatorship. And I've gone back many times since then, including this last election. I spent the election week uh, in the village. Um, and uh, it was very clear there that the people were taking, ordinary voters were taking this election very seriously. Election day, I sat around polling places, and, you know, sipping tea around polling places, and people come over and chat, who's this foreigner here, and what's he want, and so forth. So they'd come over and chat with me. And, and, and basically what they were talking about, of course, was what their hopes were, their, their disappointments were, and their hopes. Uh, and mostly their disappointments were for Megawati, uh, that Megawati had not provided them with the kind of leadership in the last few years that they had hoped for when they voted for her party uh, in 1999, and that now they were hoping that they were going to choose somebody else and some other party uh, and then some other person and their hope was uh, that the next five years would be better under better leadership. So it's just like us, you know, it's just like us trying to choose between uh, Bush and Kerry. That was the experience that I was having uh, in the villages. It's not people, people were not saying, oh, we want Suharto back. Uh, we love the military dictatorship and we want that back. We, we read this sometimes in the foreign press that there is a nostalgia for Suharto and so forth, which I think misses the point of what people want. They want they want political order to be sure, stability, and they also want economic growth, uh, but uh, they don't really want Suharto uh, to, uh, to come back. Uh, but anyway, I saw this enormous democratic vitality, and what I think it's reflected in uh, on this chart here, what I think it's reflected in uh, in particular is the vote for two political parties. Uh, the, the P-Democrat, it's listed there under 2004, the, the Parte Democrat, the Democratic Party, um, no connection with our Democratic Party. Uh, and the PKS. Uh, the PKS uh, was called the PK in the, in the uh, 1999 election, now the PKS. Um, <clears throat> it stands for Prosperous Justice Party. These two parties got uh, an enormous increase in their uh, percentage of the popular vote and also in the seats uh, that they will uh, have in uh, the national parliament and in local uh, legislatures. Um, they are representatives of different things. Uh, the PKS is a fundamentalist Muslim party. Uh, you, you saw some of its pictures there. They don't give you too much of a sense of the fundamentalist Islamic uh, aspect of it. The PKS is a fundamentalist uh, Muslim party, uh, which started in the 1980s or so as university students on campuses of the major secular universities studying secular subjects, uh, some of them getting uh, advanced degrees, some of them at Ohio State uh, getting degrees in food nutrition and so forth, uh, and then going back and becoming leaders of uh, the Justice Party. Um, the PKS operates, I think, with a twofold strategy, uh, an internal strategy of cadre building and an external strategy of relations with the larger society. The internal strategy is heavily Islamic. Uh, the idea being that we can live as full citizens of the modern world, we can do everything that everybody else in the world does that's fully scientific and so forth, uh, but at the same time we can hold fast to our conception, our, our very fundamentalist conception uh, of uh, Islam. Um, so they tried to combine these two things, and it's not so much different, actually, again, from the religious right uh, among American Protestants. It's the same kind of combination of biblical literalism uh, and, uh, and high-tech um, uh, engineering or, or 
whatever. That's that's their those are their principles. And so if you go and sit and talk to these people, that's the kind of line that they give you. That's I say a two part strategy. Uh, the first this first part of the strategy is for people who have those kinds of ideals, high tech plus uh, uh, adherence to the Quran. Um, but the strategy to the outside world is to play down the Islamicness. Play down the Islamicness. And the theory is that at this moment, in Indonesian history anyway, Islamicness does not play. Uh, you can't get very many voters with Islamicness. And this runs against the grain of lots of, <laughs> of uh, analyses, uh, too, myself included. I mean, a couple of years ago I was arguing that there would be a much greater distinction, a much greater push for Islamic politics in Indonesia than has turned out to be the case. So that what PKS was really doing to the outside world in this last election campaign um, was promoting itself as a, a caring party, a caring party, and a clean party. The caring part has to do with uh, their, their concern for the well-being of ordinary people. Uh, the clean part has to do with anti-corruption. Uh, and in both cases, uh, what they were doing was not just rhetoric, uh, but also practice. And the practice involved a natural disaster. They would send out their doctors and nutritionists and so forth, whatever, uh, to the villages to help people in a situation of natural disaster. Uh, the, uh, the clean part is every time they were offered a bribe, you know, lots of local legislatures and so forth, where somebody's offering them, a, offering everybody a bribe, you know, I mean, you just, here are the legislators all sitting around the room, and so some official comes in and, and he passes out the envelopes, you know, nobody, nobody thinks anything about it, just passes out the envelopes. Uh, but but the, the Justice Party people in these legislatures, on I think nearly 30 occasions that I have been able to count, uh, the Justice Party people have uh, collectively... <laughs> You know, they collect these envelopes, and then with a show, they take them back to whoever it was that gave them to them. They got reporters there and so forth, and they say, we don't accept bribes. <laughs> and then this gets in the newspapers, and so it's terrific, terrific propaganda. So, uh, and, and I should add, of course, that this all gets on television. It all gets on television, and 80% of Indonesian voters get their political information from television, and so uh, they form a view of the PKS, which is not based on fundamentalist Islam, but based on caring uh, and, uh, and cleanness. Okay, so democratic vitality, I said, I see in these elections, and I see it in PKS, and I also see it in Parte Democrat. But Parte Democrat is a very different matter. Parte Democrat does not exist as a political party, or barely exists as a political party. What it really is, is a personal vehicle of a single individual, and that individual's name is, is there under the description of, uh, of Parte Democrat. Uh, <coughs> so his name is Susilo Bambang Udoyono. Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono. Uh, that's abbreviated in Indonesia as SBY. Uh, everybody just refers to him as SBY. That's his nickname. And that's what I'll refer to him as here, too. He was, SBY was Megawati's um, coordinating minister for politics and security until just a few weeks before or a couple of months maybe before uh, the legislative election in April. So he had lots of time for exposure on national television because this was a very key position. Uh, you want to you want to go to war in Aceh? Uh, well, it was it was SBY who was making the decision, or at least making the public statements about going to war in uh, in Aceh. Uh, you have uh, religion religious conflict, Muslims killing Christians in eastern Indonesia. Somebody has to deal with this. It's the coordinating minister for politics and security who does it. And so he's all the time on the national television, solving problems or leading the country forward, where Megawati is sitting in the palace, not doing uh, much of anything. And so this again, this is the 80% of Indonesian voters who are getting their information from television. They are seeing this not political ads, but they are seeing this on the political news, and that's the way in which they are evaluating it. And this is what I want to say again 
what I see in the village here and what is reflected also in polls, uh, I think, is ordinary Indonesian voters are saying, we've had it with Megawati, we see a possibility here for SBY. Okay. Um, Um, thanks to Mershon and uh, other. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> thanks to Mershon and other funders, um, <laughs> there is now an organization in Indonesia called uh, the Indonesian Survey Institute, uh, LSE, uh, Lembaga Survey Indonesia, Indonesian Survey Institute. And we've been conducting, this is Saiful Mujani, uh, who I think uh, helped me make a presentation once in this room. Saiful Mujani, who is a recent uh, PhD from Ohio State, uh, who is the research director at uh, LSI. And they've been doing polls uh, for the last uh, year or so uh, on a three-month or so uh, basis. They have $2.1 million. That's the C grant from Rashan. $2.1 million from JICA, the Japan International Cooperation Agency, uh, which makes it possible for us to be doing these uh, surveys. Anyway, this is the most recent. I'm just going to show you a couple of slides here before I stop. Uh, This is is a few slides from the most recent survey, which was conducted in early April. Um, And uh, what this shows, this says the position of the candidate for president before the campaign. The legislative campaign, of course, is over now. That's what I've been reporting. But the presidential election is going to be held on July 5th. Uh, and so that's what we are now gearing up for. Um, and SDY there has 40.6% from our respondents. Uh, we have about, I've forgotten, 12 or 1,300 respondents maybe uh, who, uh, who we asked in this latest poll. Uh, 40.6% of them say that they are going to vote for uh, Megawati. As opposed, or sorry, vote for SDY. As opposed to Megawati, 14%. Uh, I mean, Rice, who's the leading candidate of the modernists, uh, with uh, 6%. Wiranto, General Wiranto, whom you will be reading a lot about, uh, because he is the candidate of Golkar uh, today. Uh, but he didn't look like he was going to be the candidate of Golkar when, these, uh, when this survey was done. And so this is not yet a reflection of what popularity here may, may or may not have. But before he became the official candidate of Golkar, he only had 5.9%. Abdurrahman Wahid, who's the candidate of traditionalist Muslims, but was president before and was spectacularly unsuccessful as, uh, as president before. So I don't need to, to go into that in detail, uh, <clears throat> but I, I want to show you this uh, chart, which I think is uh, the really most fascinating uh, one. Uh, <clears throat> and it, what it says is that not only is SBY a popular figure, but his popularity, now I'm going back to the beginning of my continuity argument, his popularity appears to stretch across uh, religious groups. Uh, these, the respondents were asked, um, who are you going to vote for for president? And then they were uh, divided in terms of party, because of course they've been asked before, what party did you vote for in the legislative election? So if you just look over there on the right, uh, that's everybody who said they voted for Golkar in the legislative election, and they were asked who was their presidential candidate. Uh, and what you get there is the chairman of Golkar is number two there, Akbar Tanjung, uh, who, who everybody thought was going to be the candidate of Golkar at that point, uh, and he only gets 15% of the vote, and 16% of the vote in his own party. Um, Wiranto, uh, where is Wiranto? Wiranto also had 15% of the vote uh, from the voters in Golkar. That may be a sign that we'll see some increase in Wiranto's vote here as we go into the campaign. Uh, but SBY has 42% of the vote from the Golkar voters. Uh, he's never been affiliated with uh, Golkar. Uh, what it says there at the top is SBY is number one in all parties uh, except for PAN, <coughs> P-A-N, uh, there, and PDIP. 
so if you look at Pan, that's Amin Rice's party, the modernist Muslim uh, party. And, and Amin Rice gets 65% of the vote in that party. But of course, that party only had about 6% of the national vote, so we're not too worried about Amin Rice being president. Um, and PDIP, of course, is Megawati's party. And over there, you can see she's got 69.6% of the vote from uh, members of her own party. That's a bigger group. That's a bigger constituency. Uh, but still, if you look across for SBY, uh, in PPP, that, that fused Muslim party, which doesn't have strong leadership, <coughs> he has 34% of the vote. His own party is the Democrat Party, so voters who identify with the Democrat Party voted for uh, him, of course, overwhelmingly. And then Pan, uh, SBY is second. Uh, PKB, he's first, uh, more than Abdurrahman Wahid. People have finally, people, the traditionalist Muslims have finally decided to heck with Abdurrahman Wahid. He was a terrible president. We're not going to support him anymore. And so they're going for SBY instead. PDIP, 15%. So, so you can see here, this is uh, what Indonesians would call lintas agama, across uh, the uh, various religious groups here. Uh, we can see uh, support for SBY. So, so my third point was democratic vitality. Um, and I, I argue that there are two aspects of that, or two forms of it. The first is the PKS. I'm not too worried about the PKS. So, uh, we have to follow them, of course. Maybe they'll continue to be fundamentalists. Uh, maybe they'll be more like the AK party in Turkey. Uh, we can talk about that in the Q&A uh, also. Uh, but at the moment, uh, they've been very effective in presenting a non-Islamist uh, agenda to the voters, and that's very interesting to watch. So, so my democratic vitality argument has that one part, that here are these Islamists who are not portraying themselves as Islamists, who are doing pretty well. But my second one is about this emergence of a candidate, uh, um, SBY, uh, who, who started out in the polls pretty low. Uh, in November of 2003, uh, the voters for SBY were only 7.1%. In March of 2004, they were 20.9%, and in this most recent survey, 40.6%. So it could be the case uh, that SBY wins the election in the first round, which is held on July 5th. If no candidate gets an absolute majority, then there'll be a second round. And that's what everybody's been predicting up until now. Uh, but what we are predicting, LSI, what LSI is predicting is uh, a one-stage a one scenario. A one-stage scenario, that's what that says at the top. Uh, if it continues like this, if this trajectory continues like this, SBY might be elected uh, on the first ballot. So that's, that's the second part of, uh, of my democratic vitality argument, that you see here the voters are, seem to be coalescing around a person who they think uh, might be a better president than Megawati. And indeed, I, I know him uh, reasonably well. I've interviewed him a couple of times watched him for quite a while, uh, and I think there is a, that he might be a reasonably good president. The problem is we, we know less about him than we know about Megawati, of course, because she's been president for the last couple of years. Um, but so, so there is a, a lot of uncertainty here. Uh, <coughs> was there uncertainty? I guess there was uncertainty about Bush, too. <laughs> Hopefully this uncertainty goes in the other, uh, goes in the other uh, direction. Right. We know more about Wiranto. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it in Indonesian terms, we know a lot more about Wiranto because he was the commander of the armed forces at the time that Suharto fell. And so we, we have a track record for Wiranto. And, and uh, probably Indonesians are not going to vote for him because they don't like that track record very much. That's my expectation anyway. But ask me why we have less of a track record for. But what we do have of the track record, it looks like he is a person of some balance, uh, some uh, reflectivity, some, certainly some intelligence, uh, who understands the issues and has had a little experience now playing politics at uh, that level. So it might turn out to be quite a good president uh, for Indonesia. 
so I, I then end up, uh, my conclusion is uh, that I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, the optimistic part comes from a sense that SBY, that the in-region voters know what they're doing in moving toward SBY. Um, but uh, I am only cautiously optimistic, uh, and that takes, back, takes me back to that fragmentation issue, that if SBY does become president, of course he is dealing with a parliament in which his party has only 10% of the seats, and that party doesn't exist. Uh, it's a party that's just cobbled together at the last minute, and so uh, control over that party itself is a big problem, uh, let alone using that party to control other parties or to ally with other parties, co- uh, collaborate with other parties in the parliament. So the cautious part of my optimism is uh, that we may be in for a difficult period uh, in Indian politics in creating the basis for cooperation between president and parliament. And that's a very American theme, too, and I'll end with that. Thank you.